Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And this week we have Brenda Marie Davis of God is Great. And I'm so excited to dive into our conversation. Before we do, just want to remind you guys, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource for anyone that's going through a deconstruction of faith, a radical evolving or devolving of faith, um, and wants to try and connect with other people in the same sort of place um, it can be a very lonely journey and the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource that connects you with other people going through that journey in your local area. So do check that out. And also want to remind you that all these resources, everything I do is free um, and it will always be for free. And if you want to support what I'm doing, you can do that over at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, as a thank you, you get access to our private um, discussion group or a little community where we process our different journeys of faith um, and just support each other in those deconstructions reconstructions whatever that might look like and we also have uh, monthly zoom calls and a bunch of other different perks for people that are supporting what i do never any requirement everything will always be free i'm always here to chat on instagram as well i love chatting with you all so do hit me up on instagram it's just phil drysdale all right that's enough rambling from me let's dive into our conversation with brenda Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Good, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Your lighting's amazing. My life is amazing. <laughs> your lighting, but your life by the looks oh. of it. <laughs> I was like, yes, my life is amazing. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? Uh, you just chilling out in the sun. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, this is our little side patio. We were going to move into a bigger place and then we didn't get it. So we like overhauled our little spot. We just have a one bedroom with a baby. So it's a okay, bit intense. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, I yeah, bet. It's all good. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Are you doing well? How are you getting on? I'm good. Sorry. I'm just tying up a couple things, but I am yeah, with you're you. You're fine. Um, yeah, everything's well. I just got on TikTok, so that should I be an saw interesting that. journey. <laughs> should be an interesting journey. Have you got um, some uh, sick that? content lined up for that? I mean, we'll see. I like. I think it'll be fun because I never get to be irreverent, and mm -hmm. it seems like a good opportunity to do that. So, it's the yeah, beauty. We'll a see. new platform gives you that opportunity, right? Where you can kind of just go like, well kind of just do my own thing and then gather the people that like that kind of side of me. Um, that's how I shifted my entire like life. And what I do is cause I moved from Facebook to Instagram and I kind of kept both running, but like, I was like, I can oh, just be me on Instagram. I don't have anyone to please. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, not piss off an entire audience or anything. And then Instagram's now bigger for me than Facebook. Anyway, I have more people on <laughs> Facebook, but who cares? I mean, it just doesn't, yeah in front of people so i'm like ah whatever i know just yeah. being authentic is everything right it's all oh that my matters God. it's so so nice and, and of course on some level you've always got to go oh i need to figure out how to present myself on some level love the people in front of me whatever that looks like um, mm -hmm. i'm sure you know all about that just in the day-to-day -day <laughs> yeah. of being on in front of people on their screens and everything but yeah it's nice to be able to just to, at least yeah. to the most that you can just go yeah this is me um mm -hmm. Like I would say to my wife the other day, I was like, this is great. I was like, I, I just realized I was like, I just don't give a fuck anymore. That's my, my life is genuinely, I'm like, she's, I think she saw like, um, uh, oh, I announced my podcast with Kevin Garcia 
and it was episode 69 and I announced it with the the famous clip of the guy in McDonald's, you know, calling out the numbers of the orders. And he's like, and everyone's favorite number. And everyone's like, whoa. And he's like, 69. And everyone starts cheering and stuff. And I was like, I just don't care anymore. Like if I'd done that five years ago, I'd have lost half my audience. Right. Nowadays, my audience is like, yeah, 69. <laughs> so I'm like, I just, it just Thank feels God. good. You know, it just mm-hmm. feels good. So, so much is changing for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think I'm just working with people that I need to be working with more than anything. Yeah, like, for sure. But you've been through like loads of change. We talked about that a little when we, we talked last, but like, I mean, it's a I year mean, yes. and like three months, I think. And by the time this comes out, probably like year and four, year and five months since we recorded our podcast for my show, whatever that was, I think it was June, maybe May. And like, we talked about your journey a bit. We talked about sex um you know purity culture sexual revolution kind of like what that looked like for you um and that was pretty much like the main bulk of what you were doing at that time and it feels like you've kind of branched out within that sphere but branched out and kind of spread your kind of tendrils into all kinds of areas it feels like everywhere i go on youtube people are mentioning you you know you're oh, you're good. getting commented on something people send me messages i honestly like more than anyone else get requests for a podcast with you that's why i, I was like bugging you oh, to come great. back on yeah. and I'm, I'm always replying and i'm like i've already had her on and people are like <laughs> we know we want her again and i'm like oh, okay so that's great um, so what you're doing is amazing it really is and it's like Thank clearly you. You people too. are loving it um but you've been on a journey yourself for like the last year of just kind of um seeing what you're doing expanding and, and growing and, and maybe touching on areas that you hadn't touched before I mean that's kind of natural yeah, I for guess sure. but uh do you want to fill people in who maybe have only know you through the podcast haven't really followed you that closely like who are who are you like just a real kind of brief because I mean if people really want to know they can go back and listen to whatever episode is but uh, yeah well we could go really deep that would uh, if you could if you could answer that question on an existential level I would love that um I, I need all the help in that area um, but yeah, like, you know, what are you, what are you up to these days? What's, what's going on? Like, what are you, what are you trying to tackle? What are you going after these days? Well, um, I think it's really interesting because when I got on YouTube, like it'll be almost two and a half years ago or something, Valentine's day, 2018 there, I didn't have lingo like progressive Christianity, deconstruction, reconstruction. I had always called my journey, my prodigal son journey of Mm. like abandoning the faith and then not reimagining it, but you know, conceptualizing it in a way that actually intellectually and spiritually made sense to me, which I now know is the journey of reconstruction. Mm. So, um, it's been really interesting because in a way being on YouTube, I was like, okay, so I've conquered this beast. Now I can sort of shift to explaining concepts more deeply about, you know, the how to's of sexuality or the how to's of reconstructing faith in a positive way, instead of explaining concepts for the first time. Like it just feels really good that people are now, they're still very confused about what Christianity is, but at least the terminology is there. So it's been really interesting. Just yesterday, I got on TikTok for the very first time. And the reason I was inspired to do that is the same exact reason that I got on YouTube, which was that I saw so much um, evangelicalism and conservative, conservative people on there 
speaking about the same things that had really damaged me, purity culture and, um, you know, LGBTQ being a sin. And I'd walked that out on my own for over 10 years. And my final straw was that this girl named Emily Wilson, who I actually, I've seen shifts in her too. And she seems quite lovely as far as a conservative uh, Catholic goes, but I have to thank her one day. She was my final straw. I saw a video of hers and I picked up a camera that I had in a cabinet for like over two years. I dusted it off and I was like, that's it. I'm going on YouTube. I can't take it anymore. Um, Ironically, I was on YouTube perusing the Christian space to begin with because I was trying to publish my memoir. Mm. And um, my memoir was the story of my prodigal son journey and and coming back to faith in the way that I knew it would resonate with me truly. And uh, the response I was getting from publishing companies was that they like the material, but there's no audience for this. Mm -hmm. So my original intention was, no, I'm going to prove it. There's an audience. But YouTube actually just proved the publisher's point, which is that, oh, my gosh, there isn't people that I know about there saying anything. Of course, now I know simultaneous, simultaneous to my, quote, ministry, Sarah Bessie was writing about feminism mm-hmm. and Jesus and Nadia Bowles Weber was doing, you know, great things in that space as well as Pete sure. Enns. But I didn't know any of these people existed until yeah. um, Linda K. Glein's book came out, which is pure. She was the yeah. very first person that was like, oh, someone I yeah. resonate with. And, and these I people think- are huge in our sphere. But like when you actually look at it on like a publisher level or something, like that, it's like, I mean, any one of those names is like, we all know that, right? We all are like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah tick 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 you know like we all want to like get each of them on our podcast at some point mm-hmm. or whatever like everyone that's listening to this is going yes i know that name i know that name i know them but like the average christian never heard of any of those people right and so it's or like they're hearing that they're like devils <laughs> or yeah or even worse yeah. right they're hearing do not go near this person but it's such a small niche uh, for like a, a absolutely broader kind of christian publisher or whatever yeah uh, so that's funny but you're you're about to release right i mean Really yes, soon. it's available for pre-order right now. Nice. If you don't mind me doing a little quick plug. Oh, please. Um, what, what date is it coming out? Because you might it might be out right now. We can maybe well, coincide with the release. Well, it's coming out time. on April, uh, in April. So oh, okay. we've got We're a long good. way to go. We're but good. pre-orders, um, you know, just talking to my Huge. publisher, I realize how crucial they are. The higher yeah. I can climb on the seller lists, the more likely they are to go to Barnes & Noble and larger bookshops in every yeah. city and promote me and be like, this girl's already getting buzz, you know. Nice. So, um, you go to a book I, tour, you know, can f- I come mean, find you in a Barnes & Noble, you know, do a little talk, get signed That's books, what I'm saying. That's like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the more that everybody just pre-orders the book, which I'm not inclined to pre-order. I never knew that it was an important thing to do to support right. creators that I love. But now that I'm privy to it, just letting everyone know if you pre-order then hopefully I can come to your city. We can have meetups post-corona talk. I'd love to meet everybody. So in order to get that budget and to get the ability to travel and see everybody, it's just you about pre Let's get on Amazon in order, so, right? Yes, exactly. So it's called, is it On, <laughs> on Her Knees? On Her Knees. Yes. Not to be mistaken with a couple other like erotic titles. Of Excellent. <laughs> it's the one of me illustrated in a beautiful green flowery dress. That would nice. Be <laughs> okay. I'll make sure, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Don't worry. Yeah. But that's awesome. So that's, I mean, you proved it, right? You, you showed up, you started speaking about this and boom, there's an audience now. That's for sure. Right. I mean, you just, you just got silver right, on YouTube and everything. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy, like huge. I know. It's so beautiful that everything feels, particularly today, just because the the pre-order, you know, was announced today. It's just so full circle. It's crazy. Mm. I wanted to, I wanted to find the audience. um, And then instead, we found community. You know, all of us have found each other. You and I found each other in in the start of this. And the resonance has just been so beautiful to see. And, um, and again, that's why I want to go shift over to TikTok because it's amazing to watch these young people still spouting these things that drove me crazy in conservative Christianity. Um, but on the flip side, I see a bunch of young progressive Christians, Mm self-identified progressives that are like, no, we're battling against this. And I'm like, holy moly, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it feels like, and this, you have to forgive me, this is my external looking upon uh, uh, description. I mean, it might be very different, but it feels like to me, as I kind of um, watch on, on your YouTube channel and Instagram and stuff, uh, it, it feels like your audience on those platforms is very much the people that have been damaged by conservative purity culture that puritanical kind of whatever and they're in um a place of wanting to see that change but also wanting to find healing in their own selves but it feels like the audience that's there for the taking on tiktok is the kids that are currently being fucked up by it and i feel like in some ways that's like a i mean it's a huge huge deal that like man on a whole nother level do people need to get in there because it's right it's like can i stop fires before they start rather than put them out right or yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And, and i think that's a really exciting have you come across um you you know talk purity to me blair have you come yeah. across her yeah yeah well, she, she's all actually, over tiktok right she loves it i know she's amazing i actually just released a podcast of with her this morning we're talking oh, about nice. jerry Fowell and Pam Stenzel, who was nice. one of the OG women that really effed us up in purity culture. <laughs> wow. I don't know much about her at all. What's her um, story? You know, there's this whole vein of people who in the 80s, 90s, during this resurgence of the purity culture movement, which um, I don't know the exact roots, but I definitely know that Jerry Fowell uh, Sr. was a part of it with the moral yeah. majority and stuff. But there was this whole um, True Love's Weights movement, and it was very mainstream. And I've actually been researching a bit more about, you know, sex education in our schools is not still a national, um, what word am I looking for? It's, it doesn't have to legally happen. Like in sure. California, where I am, comprehensive, fact-based, religion-less, uh, comprehensive sex education is a requirement. If schools yeah. are not doing that, or if they have a lean that says, you know, LGBTQ people are going to go to hell or whatever, and it's actually illegal in California. And to me, no matter what moral stance you have on certain sexual issues, it's high time that Christians really just not bow down to the culture and become sinners and allow for sin. Like I understand all of those arguments. We're talking about when you have consenting people, people have had consenting sex that is outrageous since the beginning of time. I don't have to be all about, you know, an orgy going on down the street. I don't have to go there. But at the same time, if I know everyone's consenting and that's their choice, we were never supposed to be imposing our strict, you know, level of morality on anybody else. It's always been about projecting that love. And the argument to that is always, you know, well, Jesus came to 
the adulteress and said she had to change her ways to, you know, repent and and come to terms with like a new life in Christ that was going to be positive. But um, I don't know. We just policing people's sexual activity that is consenting and no animals cannot consent. No children cannot consent. So stop making that argument. Um, Just our policing. Yeah, that's always the the slippery slope is the argument they try to bring up there. That if we allow for homosexual relationships, then who knows when everyone's going to have sex with animals? And it's like consent, consent is key. So um, the video I put up this morning was about solving abortion and how mm, you don't have that, yeah. to. Yeah, you don't have to morally agree to prevent abortion. Someone can think it's murder. Someone can think it's a surgery that is no big deal. And both of those people can advocate for less abortions in any country. So those are the kind of things we just have to come to terms with. How can we intellectually invite our principles, our beliefs? Like for me, if I want to make sure less abortions happen in this country, there is an intellectual, legal, humane way that is also humane to the woman involved and her body Mm -hmm. involved that can actually advocate for this like comprehensive sex ed education resource uh contraception so i think this is the largest misconception about progressive christianity that i'm trying to touch on which is that we are not foregoing all morality and we are not saying because we accept your consenting sexuality that we're even okay with it. You can Mm -hmm. be morally appalled by what other people do in their bedroom, but it's all about like figuring out a way to make sure that we are honoring humanity and other people and our communities and the ones that we love in a way that is not going to infringe upon their basic human rights, which are God given their free will. Yeah, no, that's huge. I mean, the whole thing of abortion is a fascinating topic. And someone like you is so uniquely suited to talk about this because you you have such a grace to reach out to people with differing views, which it can be tough. I think a lot of this goes to the fact that you have journeyed out a lot of this before you went online, you had been going through your shit, you know, you dealt with it, you'd worked through it. And I'm sure you've got loads of shit still to work through. We all have, right? But, um, no, I don't. but no, you're good. <laughs> Yes. Awesome. Well, here we go. You can answer all my questions. Um, but you know, like I think you had been on quite a journey, whereas a lot of people that, um, are thrust into the limelight that are deconstructing or going through some sort of shifts in faith, or even in the beginning of reconstruction, they are still super, um, in, they're already reactionary. They're still reactionary to what they were before, where they had come from. And they really can't have a healthy conversation with different views because they're still upset, angry, whatever. And that's good. It's really important. And I think yeah. even you can be angry and have a healthy conversation still, but like, um, that doesn't happen. But I feel like you, you handle this really well in reaching out and going, okay, yes, we've got differing views, but where are we on the same page? How can we work towards, what do we both want? What is something we both would like? So, you know, whether you are um, pro um, actual uh, practiced uh, abortions, like abortions actually being carried out or not, would we both agree it would be better if people didn't have to go through those medical procedures? And Mm -hmm. actually you very rarely find someone that is pro um, the choice for a woman to go through an abortion that yeah. is like, yeah, it'd be great if everyone kept having them every Thursdays. Cause we know that these are like, you know, 
it, depending on what it looks like, it can be a very invasive thing. It can be quite a dangerous thing. You know, it'd be just easier if we didn't have to do that. And no one wants to go through it, right? There's better options earlier on for them to mm-hmm. take ownership of their, you know, bodies, have better access to contraception, better education. Like, so the point being, we can both agree that we want less abortion. And so suddenly we can take that off the table. That's what you were talking about in your... Um, yeah. And I think you really do hold that that space well what is it that you how do you go about doing that like because to me it's really easy to get caught up in being frustrated with whatever side you, you, the other side is on right you know yeah. um and, and you you do share where you stand i, I know that you do that but you just hold space really well and, and welcome in people that have differing views and i know it doesn't always go well as well <laughs> um, i've seen i've seen the youtube comments um but yeah, how is it that you go about that kind of approach? How do you make space for these kind of conversations? Well, um, the one one thing I do want to push back on a little bit is that abortion itself is actually um, not that dangerous. And sure. having a child, having a pregnancy is actually far more statistically uh, detrimental or you know, invasive to a woman's health than doing that, mm. which is not to say I am pro-abortion. It's just like... I believe that, quote, both sides, which is even an interesting concept because uh, statistics have like continually shown that I believe over 50 percent, if not like 30 to 40 percent of people actually don't have a strong stance on it Mm -hmm. because there's so many gray areas to it. Like you'd be hard pressed to find even a extremely conservative Christian who wouldn't say if a 12 year old experiences incest you know, you'll find them making mm-hmm. some accommodation because there is a humane element to the way we address yeah. an assault victim, the way we address a mother who genuinely can't afford to have another child. Sure. And it's not as easy as Ben Shapiro's shut your legs and shut up. It's we're not going to be able to stop people from sexual activity, um, which, again, is why this is not a moral argument to me one of my main things is like take the moral uh, elements out of it over 50% of um, abortion clients, according to Gutmeyer Institute in like 2014 were Christian identifying. Mm. So if you consider something like that, you're like, okay, so morality is not helping stop people. There must be then a practical solution to figuring this out. So this is the most roundabout way to answer like, I believe all of us need to be far more devoted to truth and to really researching and becoming nuanced and seeing both sides. I, for one, am realizing that in the beginning of my journey, when I was deconstructing, you should have heard the words that came out of my mouth about my youth pastors. You should have heard the things that I had to say about Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. There was a lot of anger and fury, and really it was because it had hurt me so deeply and so profoundly. I was married, quote, saving myself from marriage. I was fed this lie that if I'm just a good girl, I'll live happily ever after. I'll be in God's favor. Again, this is why we need to commit ourselves to truth. You can't tell teenagers you're going to live happily ever after and have a million orgasms if you just wait for marriage while simultaneously counseling your married couples who are having all of this crazy chaos in their sex lives. Because as Linda K. Klein or Jamie Lee Finch have researched, 
women experience vaginismus, men experience mm -hmm. erectile dysfunction because our sexual fairy tale does not work out that way. So stuff like that, I'm like, don't lie to this one group of teenagers and then try to heal them later on in life. Tell the teenagers the truth, yeah. which is that sexual compatibility is real. Like, even if you're saving yourself from marriage, how about you shift the conversation to, hey, do you guys know what a clitoris is? Do you know God made it? Do you know your pleasure is important? And not just mm -hmm. because God made sex and some like, you know, a flowery terminology, but like, oh, do you know it's not actually that easy to make a woman come sometimes? Do you know that sex toys are not demonic? They don't uh, make you less of a man. Some women just need clitoral stimulation. Like I would love to, frankly, if I could be a part of doing it, I'd love to bring those kind of conversations yeah. to church. And there are ways to offer, like I was educated by the OWL program, um, to become a certified sex, uh, educator. And there is a religious component. There's a whole additional book that says, Oh, if you're a religious person, you can also teach these. But it is still not abstinence only shut your legs and shut up. It is, if you're honoring your body, what does that actually look like? Yeah. What does that feel like? So in the largest, most roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is if the church wants to succeed and if we all want to come together and actually begin having healthy conversations with, quote, the other side, we have to concede to giving credit where credit is due. Mm. If I hear Republicans do something very positive in this world, like, frankly, I'm actually sick of deciding that everything they do is demonic and terrible. Like, sure. you know, both sides are at this fever pitch and it's like, okay, let's talk about the middle ground. Let's talk about what yeah. we have in common. And you know, again, I'm just using abortion because it's such a good example. It's like, can we not concede on these certain things that we actually completely agree with? Yeah. If everyone, 10 out of 10 people staying in line say, oh, we'd actually like to prevent this from happening. Then you have to stop screaming about morality. You have to stop yeah. screaming about things that are not going to help the process. And also you have to look at statistics. You know, if 100% of statistics say a lack of comprehensive sex ed that abstinence only actually causes more unwanted pregnancies and more abortions, yeah. then what's up conservatives? You need to concede to that fact yeah. and work with us here. Like we really desperately yeah. need to get on the same page. I myself am not playing into the hatred and ridiculousness anymore. I'll still get really upset, but I feel healed I feel confident in the faith that I believe in. And now I'm just ready to figure out how we can stop hating each other so hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it, you're, 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 you're hitting them on the nose. So I think like there's, it's so easy when we have pictures of the group we don't like, there's always someone up there that is like just everything we don't like, whatever that is, whether you are yeah. Republican or Democrat or Christian or Muslim or whatever, right? You're always going to find someone that you're like, look at this asshat. And then you go, <laughs> I guess everyone in that group is horrific. But the thing is, while um, if I was walking along the, the side of a lake and my toddler fell in a lake and was drowning, I really would have to stop and pause before I gave you an answer of if Trump was there, would he jump in and save it? I don't know, right? I really don't. But do you know what? Nine out of 10, probably 99.999% out of 100 Republicans would. 
Right. You know, they would jump in and save a toddler that was drowning. You know, like, <laughs> right. Would, right. I mean, we're, we're, and when we start, or going even a disgusting pussy-wearing feminist. <laughs> absolutely. Like, for, for, on the whole, I think people, generally speaking, like when we, if we can boil it down to morality, we're all, at least on from our perspective, the good guy. You know, we might have yeah. different perspectives of what makes the good guy and what makes the bad guy and and whatever, but. I think we do have this common humanity that we we are not doing well at acknowledging right now, and we're we're almost trying to um, dehumanize people so we can attack. And I think that's it. You you hit the the nail on the head. I think where we need to kind of put that aside and go, okay, but where are we? Where where are we going to agree? How are we going to work together? Because we're not going to change the world. America's not going to change until Republicans and Democrats kind of find some common grounds to make some changes. And the biggest changes that they have experienced in the last X amount of years is when they occasionally have managed to kind of wangle something through because they've made compromises on both sides and gone, yeah. actually, yeah. Um, well, look at yeah. our freaking Lotma motto, united we stand, divided we fall. Um, I also made a comment in today's video that the roots of the word uh, Satan in the original was like the divider to smash mm -hmm. to, you know, it's all about division and splitting. Um, a lot of Christians that are on the conservative side argue that they can mistreat and judge other people because Jesus was love, but he also came and he brought a sword and he came to bring mm. division. And I've heard that line. He came to bring division. He knew he would be divisive. Ironically, the divisive thing that he brought was love because yeah. love is that shocking. You know, if you see me and Tommy Lauren having lunch together somewhere laughing, which is honestly a goal of mine. Like there's something that really intrigues me about her. I've, I've just seen her capable of listening, capable of ingesting new information and actually changing her mind on something. Mm. She says some horribly horrific things, especially about race that I have no respect for at all. But you know that if people saw an image of us together, like laughing or hugging or something, that would actually be divisive. People would sure. find that offensive. Right. Jesus died. He was crucified, not because he was coming to tell everybody off and tell them what they were doing wrong. Otherwise, he would have been crucified by who? The woman at the well and yeah. the adulteress and all of the people that he actually shifted them and helped them train, like change their ways. What was divisive was that people could not stand that he was saying, no, we're actually supposed to love the marginalized, the Pharisees. What is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said it loud and clear. And again, you know, conservatives will say, well, that's just, you know, you're excusing sin. You're giving too much love. But again, mm -hmm. it's not that. If I saw someone doing something terrible, you know, of course I'm calling that out. You know, we are also sure. very concerned with the way people treat one another, the kind of love that we're expressing. Conviction is real. People should be convicted when they're headed in the wrong direction, when they're making choices that are going to be detrimental to themselves and others. Mm. And we just recognize sin in a different way. I, for a long time, said the evangelical church has made an idol out of sexual purity. Now it's made an idol out of Donald Trump and an idol out of being pro-life. We need to step back from those idols, just as any progressive. I mean, we can't make an idol out of our heroes either. We are supposed to step back genuinely and just real, 
like facts and understand each other. And that's going to be our way to get on the same page. Division, the author of that, biblically speaking, is our enemy, is Satan. So we're playing into that and we're, we're losing. All of us are losing. Yeah. Do you think there's a dynamic, you know, I I look at someone like Jesus and, and he constantly cited, I mean, he's like some poor peasant from Nazareth. I mean, like a terribly poor place when you start looking at it historically, there's not much going on. Um, and you know, he came, he came from nothing. People look at this guy and like, what comes to Nazareth? Like, honestly, like who is this person to listen to? And yet people do start listening and you expect this guy, you kind of expect him to like the sinners and the peasants and the whatever, because that's who he is, right? He's associated with the lower class and the crap and the filth, but he also associates with, um, a Roman tax collectors, Pharisees, even he's having dinner at the Pharisees. And it feels like Jesus wasn't just about breaking down that, um, that barrier in the sense of, Hey, let everyone below this line up. Um, but also was going, Hey, you guys up there, you can come down and hang out anytime you want. And people Mm -hmm. did. And, and it felt, I read throughout and I'm like, he pissed off his disciples and the poor people following him and the sinners, I bet just as much at times as all these Pharisees as well, because on some level, we all like that divide. And and so, you know, I know that you kind of maybe identify more with progressive Christianity, but there's an element of progressive Christianity that also has a massive, like hard on or whatever you would say about hating conservative Christianity on some level, or, uh-huh. or at least we love that, 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 that line we have in the sand that goes, Oh, you're on that side. So you're yeah. um, pro-life or so you're um, going to shame me for sleeping with my partner before marriage. You're going to vote Donald Trump, whatever it is. We love when someone's on the other side of the line. Cause we suddenly go like, Ooh, I'm in the right. I feel good about myself. I can have a bit of pride um, or whatever. Um, and do, do you ever worry on some level because we all worry right this is why evangelicals are worried that you know they've got to look perfect and be perfect and be whatever for their audience do you worry about a dynamic where people in your audience because you have plenty of people in the other audience right you put plenty of evangelicals coming along going oh you're such a like whatever right and you're just throwing out the word of god you don't care about the bible you don't care about jesus you're not a real christian all that but do you ever worry about um being too um, much of an ambassador, someone that is going to be like Jesus and go in and go, you know what, let's stop the dividing. Let's stop the division, the, the hatreds, the let's try and find common grounds. Um, do you, do you worry about how that affects progressives looking at you? Cause I know a lot of your audience, they follows you for long enough that they're going to be also going, yeah, that is a better way to do it. I want to be someone that isn't about division, but there's probably a lot of people as well that are in that progressive camp that are going to go, Ugh, you just hugged whatever right i don't know the person you mentioned i'm not cool enough to follow oh, all, no, the, all the hit people you know it's like oh you just hugged that person you're at lunch with someone that would vote trump or someone that like you know just blasted your video like they hate that person because they hate you and you've accepted them and they, they can't come to terms with that right like what's going on um does that something you kind of think through and and, and wonder about no it's such an interesting point because we as Christians have been harping on Jesus's love for the oppressed, the minority, the outcast forever, as long as I can remember being Christian. But now the outcast, the minority, you know, the trash people are having a moment in the sun that is rightfully deserved. This resurgence mm, of Black Lives Matter that actually has some weight and power behind it. 
and I'm seeing some genuine change has been incredible. And it is funny because yes, that has given a lot of us a superiority complex. And I do intend to fight against that because regardless of whether or not people accuse me of not knowing Jesus and not knowing my faith, I spend a lot of time in prayer. The shower is one of my main places. It used to be the car, but we're trapped at home. Um, and I really like sink in and listen. And the message that I have received over and over more recently is like kind of the concept of okay, well now don't be so predictable where you are shutting off, where you are not listening. Because I actually had a conversation with my brother the other night and I was talking about, you know, I really would not mind. And as a matter of fact, I think a lot of us would feel like the world wasn't on fire. We're playing into all this fear so much. If I just knew every once in a while something good that the Republican Party was doing, why can our party not get on CNN or get on anything, you know, these different news networks and just say the Trump administration provided school lunches for a bunch of kids in need. That would by no means outweigh the negative things that he's doing. You could still in the next breath say, oh, he's also destroying this national park by removing regulations. And then we as voters could actually have some sort of thought in our own head of like, okay, this person's done X amount of good, X amount of bad. Where do we land? How impactful in a bad way has this person been? Instead, all we're offered is, okay, you guys already hate this person. You hate this administration. Let's give you more ammunition for your hatred and fear. And I really used to only perceive that to be from the conservative side. You know, Fox News has for a long time been the fear mongering network of America And I am now just seeing the other side beginning to fear monger very, very hard as well. I'm waking up every day with anxiety. The world is on fire. We all hate each other. When you hear about, you know, all of these Trump people going in the streets with automatic rifles and holding guns at people that they're scared of from a Black Lives Matter protest or something, you're just like... This is what's happening. Now we're afraid of each other on both sides. And what good is this going to do? So for me, I'm like, okay, I don't want to be predictable. And I, it's not going to be fun whenever I do piss off my people, the social justice warriors. Again, Black Lives Matter was difficult because... I definitely, as a privileged white girl, was navigating how to Mm. talk about it for the first time. And there was a lot of just anger and confusion and misunderstanding and bullying uh, only from white girls. A lot of white girls slid into my DMs telling me like, how dare you? Your silence is deafening. Like all this stuff that was meant to shame me. Mm -hmm. One of the main principles I believe in our faith is that we are constantly given invitations to shame and fear. Those are marks of the enemy. I don't care if you call it Satan or just intellectualize it and be like, oh, these are negative emotions that come at me. But like you're invited to shame and fear. So girl slides into my DMs and is like, you haven't said one thing about Black Lives Matter yet. Your silence is deafening. You're a piece of garbage, all this other stuff. I myself realized through that experience, no, I'm not going to accept your invitation to shame 
I'm in fear, I'm going to devote myself to what I'm asking everybody else to do, which is research, be mindful, not output information until you actually know what you're talking about. Like everyone was demanding that I post the black square, for example. My best friend Haven is amazing. And she called me, she's like, girl, where's your black square? You better put that up because she was just terrified that I was not terrified, but she was like, you're going to get slaughtered if you don't put up this black square. Yeah. And I posted it annoyed, not Mm. because I had to black myself out, but because I was like, no one is, I didn't research this. I don't know what this is about. And sure as hell people, you know, slide in or like, oh, this was a, to black out Black Lives Matter and silence them. And you did the wrong thing. And I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not playing into this fear and shame from my people and I'm not going to output things that I don't know what I'm talking about just to appease you guys from yelling at me. Mm. I'm sorry. I don't think that's my responsibility. If anything, all the work that I've done and all that I've built up to be as trustworthy of a source as possible. I don't want to break all that down because social justice warriors are yelling at me. Mm. So I, for example, again, in this last video, I did finally do my due diligence and research whether or not Planned Parenthood was selling baby parts. Planned Parenthood has been an incredibly positive resource for me in America where universal health or where healthcare is a privilege and not a human right, um, which is the antithesis of Jesus's message, but whatever. Um, I couldn't afford any health care. I used to go to Planned Parenthood exclusively and be like, I have a cough. Can you guys do anything about that? And they're like, get a real doctor. <laughs> but they were my only health care provider. Yeah. And thank God, you know, when I was saving myself for marriage, I was getting my annual checkups there just to check in on my body. When I was married, they provided me free birth control. And you know, and then when I was on my tramp page, I would stop in for condoms and free plan B because plan B is $60 and not everyone has access. Mm-hmm. Like these yeah. are important resource sources that are our human right that we need in this country. Um, but that said, I was like, okay, I've been screamed about this for a while. I need to research. Did Planned Parenthood sell baby parts? And, you know, I have to be honest, I watched the video, I was horrified by the flippancy in which the woman was talking about how she can get the baby parts out intact and how they can force a breech birth so that the head is intact or, you know, I am not going to state my moral stance on abortion because, again, I believe that gets into the weeds and it becomes irrelevant truly to the conversation, but I will tell you, like, I don't want to see that flippancy and I definitely don't want to see a financial incentive to do anything in a specific way. That said, the facts are they were not selling baby parts. They didn't profit off of it. They were just recouping costs. So they would be like, you know, anything that it costs them to do the procedure and send the specimen slash aborted fetus to where it needed to go, they would recoup that cost. So no, they weren't profiting, but I have to be balanced and say, If I'm there getting an abortion, I don't want to know that my fetus is being manipulated in a specific way to accommodate this thing that you're trying to do. And and that if any abortion provider ever was financially incentivized, that is an immediate conflict of interest and that Mm -hmm. cannot stand. So I was concerned about saying that in this video because I was like, well, 
people are probably gonna scream at me, but let's be fair. Like, yeah. I, well, and the yeah. thing is, if you don't talk about these things, right? As soon as you're <clears> silent on one whateverism or whatever they might be, maybe it's more substantial than a whateverism as well. Um, the second you're silent on that, well, then that's the only thing that your opponents are gonna mention, whatever that might be, <laughs> right? right? So, yeah. so then it's just like, oh, well, like there's not even a point because it, whatever I've said is irrelevant because I missed that one thing you were listening, the whole video you listened for that thing. As soon as it's missing, you're like, well, you don't know that they're doing this. And so, <laughs> I know. Well, I do know that. But I just didn't think it was worth going. And so, <laughs> yeah. But then you could get into the weeds for months doing that, right? Making sure you cover everything. And, and, yeah. and on some level, we'll always do that. We all do it, right? We all kind of have our little bits that, that that's the big thing um i guess we, yeah we all do it we all do it with how we vote we all do it with what topics we cover or how we cover those topics um it's, it's really tough like i love that that's how you approach things so you do kind of face the the darkness and go i don't really want to go in here <laughs> um yeah but you, you do you know and and you do it out of uh, an integrity and a desire to give people um the information that they need to make their own decisions as well i think that's a really key thing that I think a lot of stuff out there is not about equipping people to make healthy decisions on their own, you know, prayerfully informed, you know, thinking about it, whatever, however they make those decisions, you more often than not, uh, and I'm sure I've, I've heard you state your own opinions on things before. It's not, you have no opinions. Um, but more often than not, you're trying to go, look, this is, I'm not trying to make you think like me, but here's like what I'm trying to lay out and I'm trying to help people make their own informed decisions. Um, is that something that you feel that you've always done or is that something that you feel that you've grown into as you've been trying to be a little less um, uh, reactionary to something before? Or Well, this approach I would say is brand new because the division has been felt very heavily by me, the anxiety, the concept of the world being on fire, um, all of it, like, I even recently have had some strange uh, encounter with police officers. Like I have a friend who um, is in a local gang. You know, I live in a, uh, what's it called? Um, What's it called when white affluent people take over a a neighborhood? (laughs) Uh, What what word am I looking for? Gentrification. I am part of a gentrified city at this point. So I actually befriended someone that, you know, his family has lived right down the street for over a decade and he's involved in gang life. The reason he got in gang life in the first place was because he was like, I think 11 years old or something, his mom couldn't really pay rent. And someone was like, if you run this bag for me, you know, I'll give you X number of dollars. So, yeah. So he started running meth um, for a soup, like an old, like super cool other gang member in that territory. And, you know, just thinking about the seduction of that and, and the necessity that he was actually just trying to do something good by his family, but also the seductive power of an older, you know, gang member really seducing him into it. And then I've talked to him a lot about how the police have treated him in my same neighborhood and going in the neighborhood and just immediately like crashing into a house and shooting all the dogs on the premises and, just treating him and his family generally like garbage and his friends like garbage. And, 
you know, even if he gets beat up or something bad happens to him, the police are like, well, it's your fault. There's such, you know, a lack of humanity that he had mm. encountered. And then with Black Lives Matter and stuff, this like, it's felt like a liberal conservative fight. And I was getting a meal somewhere and I had my bike in there and I was kind of like juggling my bag of food and my bike. And there was two police officers that walked in and this is the height, like when fever put, everyone was sure. like losing it. And one of the officers came over to open the door and the other one grabbed him and was like, don't help her. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> That's amazing. What is- yeah, and I was just like, the divisiveness that's been created is insane. And at the same time, oh, I've just gotten a preview of the way my Mexican friend has been treated his mm-hmm. entire existence. You know? Sure. So it's not about this making an enemy of people. It really is about this education. And I would say these realizations and seeing the division hit me harder and begin to affect me and my life and the safety of my family and my child and my party. Are we going to have a fair election? Nobody Mm -hmm. knows. Kamala herself was like, this may get overtaken by a foreign, you know, input. And we don't know if this election is going to be fair. So nothing feels safe right now. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing that we can do as for me as a believer, but also just as a human being has to be to help people not see each other as the enemy, no matter what class they are, no matter what job they have. We, you know, and that's a far reaching goal. I know it, but that is my responsibility as far as what Mm. I need to output into the world right now. So to answer your question, that is brand new, but, um, you well, you asked uh, there was like a second part to it that I'm forgetting. <laughs> Man, I have forgot as well. I'm really terrible at remembering the questions. I <laughs> no, ask, sorry, but... I'm going on these tangents, but no, it's yeah. really good. This is good stuff, and I think you're you're touching on something that I'm so. I mean, on the privilege box, I take almost everything. Um, I could do with some more cash, but other than that, like you know, I, I really am. I'm like I'm white. I'm you know I've got my own home. I am male. Like I mean. I'm I'm good. Um, yeah. And, and, but one of the big ones it feels like right now in this world is, and I live in Europe, I don't live in America, which is fascinating, right? Because America is the best place in the world. But right best now that's well, not yeah. what most people think. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it feels to me on some level, it's just everything is so sensationalized. And I've not been on the ground in America since the beginning of the year. But um in my experience, being in America the last few years and spending plenty of time with people that are black, with white, people that are Republican, people that are Democrat, it hasn't felt as divided as it feels when I'm sitting flicking through my TV channels or scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. Yeah. And I feel like this is not to say there aren't issues. My God, there are issues and they are insurmountable. They're huge. I, I, I'm not trying to play that down. But, but I am I am saying I feel like the degree to which this we allowed us to get into our heads and become versus the degree that it actually is day in day out for most people. I say most people because on a and that's even affected by a very big scale of um, spectrum based on all kinds of privilege, right? So I know mm-hmm. most people, me hardly any, uh, a white woman maybe much less. Uh, but more than me, um, you know, a black male. Okay, we're we're starting to see things affect us more and more. So I, I, I still I'm aware of that. Um, but again, I would imagine day in day out, um, the average black person 
working in their office isn't terrified a cop's going to run into the office and shoot them. But it feels like when I'm sitting on Facebook all the time, I feel scared of that. And I'm in the UK, <laughs> right? I'm like, Jesus, I don't trust the cops anymore. It, it, it's just this, this feeding on this energy of divisiveness. And, and I think that the thing that we're talking about here of like not hating people, I think it's really important that we recognize that these are systemic issues. It's, it's not that yeah. every individual cop is a bad person. It's that the system of policing in America is a seriously broken system, which creates a lot more bad cops than would be otherwise. Um, it's that there are systems of uh, skewed systems of capitalism that create such dynamics of greed and abuse within the way that people are paid and cared for. And if they have holidays or if they have maternity leave and things like that stuff What's that? Is, <laughs> is systemic, right? It's a system yeah. we have to attack. Um, and I feel like the danger is we turn people that are victims of systems, right? You look at your um, your neighbor, he's 11 years old and his mom can't pay rent. And there's someone cool and influential going, hey kid, I'll help you pay your rent. God, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And I think I've got a great moral compass, but like, no, yeah. if I was 11 and there was someone that I looked up to that was like, you know, they were able to pay their own thing. They had like, they were cool or whatever. Even if I thought they were an asshole, I'm like, well, wait, we're going to end up on the street. Sure. Give me your money. I'll take those drugs down the road. Like, Right. I mean, yeah. so the issue is not the 11 year olds. The issue is not even the guy offering the 11 year old work because on some level, I bet that guy thinks he's doing a good thing, right? He's probably even going, oh, this kid's, this family's struggling. It's a way for me to get them some money, whatever. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's terribly evil. Um, <laughs> but the issue is the system, right? That says, yeah. oh, if you're 11 and your mom's struggling to pay her rent, well, she's out on her ass in the street and so is her kid because that's how we deal with things. And it's like, that's a broken system. Mm -hmm. the system should be someone steps in and helps and equips and gets them in a home, make sure they've got enough to break even, maybe gets them trained so they can start working towards getting a job, make sure the kids can get some good education. That's a different system in play. There's no good or bad guys in either dynamic. There's just people, right? And yeah. good and bad people are in the, the mix. Um, so it's just, a, it just pisses me off so much that we, uh, we demonize people so much, but actually if we were in that system, we would be that person more than more often than not. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just a really crazy dynamic, but again, I, I really love that that's a direction that you seem to be moving in as well. Again, is, is trying to deal with these systemic things, abortion. How can we approach this as a systemic issue that we both can shift in a way that's positive for us. Right. Um, yeah. That's a that's a huge conversation, but it's a different conversation than you're killing babies, you're an ignorant idiot that's uneducated, <laughs> or whatever the arguments that we bounce backwards and forwards. Like if you think about a conservative Christian, you know, me and you have both been in that Christian conservative world, literally think babies are being murdered. Like, and they're bad people for being upset about that. Right. Really? That's a pretty good person. And actually, if you thought that too, I'd hope you would be like freaking out and doing everything you could to stop it happening. I know. That's uh, what I keep wanting to pro-life people. Like there's this fallacy that Donald Trump, of course, played into because he loves being divisive. Mm -hmm. um, and before, I know I just said something snarky. I don't want to be divisive by being so openly anti him. But really the reason... I see him as a pawn of evil. I don't like calling people evil. You could call sure. my friend at 11 years old evil. I don't like it. Uh, but I do think there is a distinction that you can be a pawn. 
of love. We can be a pawn of fear, shame, this evil. And again, if our enemy is division, then if you have a leader who's constantly saying us, them, if I have a leader that would treat me like garbage just because I identify as a liberal, that mm. is bad. That is very bad. It doesn't matter if, if you want to vote for him because you believe in his policies, you believe he's creating jobs. Like, I'm not going to judge you for that. But what I am saying is any divisive leader, and the same thing if Joe Biden comes in and plays in that division and, and makes enemies of conservatives, then he's uh, playing into evil and division as well. It's, it's not good. None of it is good. Mm-hmm. But um, also to your point, or as I was going to say, one of the things Donald Trump said was with partial birth abortion, that they just leave the babies on the table to cry themselves until they die. And, you know, there's these young conservative Christians named Paul and Morgan, and they just did a video on it where they described abortion as a process of a baby, like lying on a table and crying and screaming until it's dead. And it's like, you don't have to make abortion actually any more horrifying than it is. It's true. I do find it horrifying. I'm not saying whether it's moral or immoral, but I do have so many friends in my life that have gone through this. I've seen it firsthand. I know that there can be someone that has a cavalier attitude that doesn't see it this way, but I haven't met that woman. I Mm -hmm. honestly haven't to be like, really. Um, Most women, even if they don't regret it, like they believe it was the right choice, also catch them being like, oh, I'd have a five-year-old right now. Like it doesn't just disappear. There is a tragedy to it, no matter what your moral stance is. All said, you don't have to exaggerate and say this what it is. And also victims of partial birth abortion are people who either the mother was going to die or the baby was going to die. And there is no legality of infanticide. Infanticide is not legal in any of the states in the United States of America. Outright illegal. No one is pulling babies out and letting them die on a counter, screaming until they die. Like, and again, to your point, I would join anyone in a protest of that. (laughs) You wouldn't find it hard to find people that would protest that. I, I, I mean, yeah. But then everyone gets so emotional. Like, I think to your point, if you come here in person, you'll find that there's less division. But how ironic and interesting that we've all been stuck at home, where? Mm -hmm. On our computers, on our social media. And I, I really did start God is Gray to be educational and to combat some of these really negative things that I thought I was seeing online and in my life. But I'm shifting... I'm still going to do that, obviously, sure, but the shift, the shift has been like, okay, but this was never to make enemies of everybody. This was mm-hmm. always to invite people in. This was always to, oh, that was your question that I forgot. This was always about you are empowered to make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. I made that crystal clear since day one, and I felt divinely led by that. Um, I felt God gave me the name God is gray. I was worried it would be too divisive, but I was kind of encouraged like, yeah, that's the point. You're going to be like, you know, it's good to be like, what the, what is that? You know, because yeah, yeah. pick a draws- side, black or white. <laughs> Come on, Brenda. Yeah. And I've always been trying to invite people into that. And one of my main things was I had only once ever been at church where a pastor came in as a guest speaker 
maybe it was you because it was the craziest thing I'd ever heard in church. This guy goes, he described the universe and the complexity of it and how long it takes, how many light years to get to X numbers of planets. Mm. And then he said, so we don't know anything about God. I'm going to give a message. If it resonates, take it home with you. If it doesn't, leave it at the door. I'm just a man and you have the Holy Spirit within you. You can assess whether wow. or not what I'm saying is true. I have never again heard that heard that level of humility. I have never again in a Christian space been invited to think for myself, process mm. for myself, which again is ironic because Jesus said, I am leaving you with the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving mm. you with this direct connection to God. And yet we still continually impose these ideas on each other and say, well, you have to believe this. You have to believe yeah. that. My channel says, here's some information. Take it home. Think about it. I am not a prophet. I am by no means perfect. I have a piss poor education in New Jersey. Like, I don't say everything perfectly or beautifully or articula articulately. <laughs> Point being there we go. Right nice. <laughs> you, you planned that, right? <laughs> um, so for love of God, don't take what I say as mm. gospel. You, but ingest it. Humble yourself and think about mm. it as I will devote to doing for you on your stance. Sure. Which I think, to be honest with you, I, I think it, it really is a testament to what you've built. And I think there's a hunger for that. Um, because I think one of the downfalls of the progressive church is it is still very fundamental in a lot of ways um you go into a lot of fundamental churches and you go actually i'm still like i'm actually really not very pro-choice sorry that's going to be a problem for you in a lot of progressive churches people are going to not, not be very happy with you um, right. and yet you look at the data and it's still actually a very very um divisive topic even in the progressive church if you do anonymous polls on what do you think about abortion it is not um, black and white, like we talked about, this is a huge spectrum and there's so much nuance along the way with each kind of chip and different people have had different experiences or exposure to know, oh gosh, yeah, well, I won't like that. I don't approach that and I wouldn't like that. Um, and I think it's not doing itself any favors, the progressive church, the more fundamental it becomes. And I think in this climate where we're feeding on these extremes, we run the tendency of becoming more extreme. And I think, again, it's just testament to your character and the approach that you've got, um, maybe spirit-led, um, to go, I'm not going to go down further extremism, which would be so easy. Like, you would, yeah. you would like, Pick up where honestly, you kid off. in a candy store, you blow up. You know, you just, people love it, right? I mean, they really do love that stuff. Um, Especially but to go, I'm going to go the opposite way. Right. So, no, that no, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Um, yeah, but my previous faith was built on what people were telling me, was built on fear, was built on exterior things. You know, I talk a lot about the difference between conviction and shame. Shame mm. is an external thing. So this faith that I've built now is based on conviction. What I, what I internally intuit is right and true paired with the humility of like, Lord, please be speaking to me because I don't want to mess this up, especially because people happen to be listening to me, but at the same time, always clarifying like, Oh my God, please don't solely yeah, listen. To please me. don't like, listen to me. <laughs> um, I'm an idiot just like anybody else sometimes. Um, but yeah, I definitely see us running the risk 
And I try to steer people in my comment section too. Like I will, I will make a really solid point on something and then progressives will go after conservatives and be like, see that you bitch. And they're just like, no, <laughs> this is not what we're doing here. And, but at the same time, like we were talking about earlier, like it's so painful to do that deconstruction. It's so painful to lose your whole community. Yeah. Add being LGBTQ or, you know, a black American and be, or a poor American and then already have all of that alienation to begin with that compounds. And you really have to have a lot of grace and space for how hurt and angry a progressive Christian or a deconstructed person Mm -hmm. can be. And yes, they are prone to output that hate and cause more destruction. And I would hope and pray that conservatives, which that would be difficult too. They would have to really Mm -hmm. rise up in their spirit to receive that and decide not to hate quote us, the other side. And the same time, here's a, a, divisive thing to say for my social justice warrior uh deconstructed christians is someone like josh harris who wrote i kiss dating goodbye i see him get attacked by both sides this guy Mm -hmm. is in the fire and everybody is like well we all hate you right (laughs) and you know i see a lot of women especially that have suffered genuinely traumatic terrible things like Serious, church yeah. too became a real hashtag for good reason mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people have been you know assaulted because of modesty culture purity culture you're a stumbling block because you were 12 and you were wearing a spaghetti strap, strap t-shirt i talked to a lot of victims who were asked what part they took in their assaulter's sin mm-hmm. so yeah that is atrocious. It's deplorable. It's disgusting. I'm glad we're moving forward from that. So this is by no means diminishing how terribly traumatic victims have had it in the church. However, you know, to be like, so we all hate Josh Harris. Don't say anything kind about him. Don't allow him to apologize. His apology was not sufficient. You should go suck a dick, whatever you want to say about him sorry but no like mm. I, I, this guy was 21 years old there's there's so many victims to these concepts and so many of us are waking up and i wish we wouldn't be yelling about something that we just learned about five minutes ago yeah. same with the black lives matter movement like these white girls telling me i'm doing black lives matter wrong i'm like you just learned about this four seconds ago sure. and now you're already creating division yelling at people about it like Love is hard. The -hmm. Bible told us straight up that love, compassion would be difficult. And it's funny because who would have thought that it would have to be for each other, for our Mm -hmm. own country citizens, for our own churches, congregation. I don't think we expected that the enemy would look so gray and confusing. Our prior enemy used to be sex workers and criminals and people that are in prison. Like, thank God we are beginning to understand that those people are not the enemy, that there's, Mm. there's good and terrible people in every section of society. And your quote enemy may not look the way you think that they look. And the person that needs compassion might look like a Joshua Harris who is learning how destructive something he said at 21 years old was. And if he didn't give you the perfect apology, again, I'm not diminishing your trauma. I'm sorry, but 
he was a victim of this too, you know. Right. We, I mean, we, he was a part of a system that allowed 21-year-olds who have no experience in life whatsoever or the topic they're writing about, write a bestseller and then get put on a public stage and travel around the world and like, you know, put in every stage to tell people how to live. Like that doesn't happen. If you're 21 out there and you're listening to this and you want to go and travel the world and write a bestseller, a book, guess what? Probably not going to do it because you're 21 and no one gives a crap, <laughs> right? That's how the average 21 gets that. You need a system that goes, yeah. Ooh, look at Josh. He's doing what we want. He's a poster child for it. Let's make it happen. Like in every way, Josh is still on some level a victim to his system. Now that's not to say that he can't go crap. I've made some mistakes and I'm being a part of that. And I want to say, sorry, I want to be a part of helping people change. I'm going to make a little documentary. I'm going to do whatever, like that's all really good work. Um, and it might not be enough for some people. Like, like we're talking about serious trauma and serious grief that has to be gone, gone through and worked through. Um, and, and that those things take time to work through, generally speaking, like that, that's some serious, like neural pathways burned in. We have, yeah. we all got some shit for the purity culture, right? Everyone around that age, we're, we're all got some stuff to work through. Um, but the thing is Josh saying, sorry, even if it was a thousand times of a better apology, wouldn't change the fact that you have trauma still to work through that's still an internal world thing. That's going to therapy. That's doing the mm-hmm. work, whatever that means. And it's shit that we got to do it. And it's unfair that we got to do it, but that's kind of life, right? There's always gonna be something unfair that we got to work through. Yeah. Um, and, and grief I, has a process. Like, right. again, you don't this get is to why we it. all need to practice compassion because if you're yelling at the messenger instead of the message, of course, that's going to be a part of the process. Like I said, I did that privately for years. I'm glad I didn't have social media when I was going through it. I would have been a terror. Um, but, and that's the thing too. I'm like, we need to make enemies of ideas, enemies of systems that don't work versus people. Um, which is so hard to do because then it kind of gets in the sticky territory of like God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. It's like, you can't, you can't then take it further and be like, okay, well now I hate this idea because it too easily gets into the territory of hating the people that have that idea, but it really is our mission in this faith. Even if you're no longer in this faith, it is our mission And us waking up and feeling like we've discovered something different, that we have deconstructed things that have been hurtful and we have that community. It is on us, I believe, to work and try to become the bigger people that we're being invited to become and say, we're inviting you into these ideas. We're inviting you. We know why you feel this way. We've all been indoctrinated, many of us, since we were incredibly impressionable I was given purity culture at 12 while my boobs were forming. Like they caught me in the nick of time to make me not only a victim, but a perpetuator of that idea. I led the purity ceremony at my church when I was 15 years old. Those 15 people can hate me if they want to. And I would understand that. Like I was the one that had us sign these contracts that I'm sure brought a lot of pain to those 15 people. And I'm the one. I did it. Why did I do it? Because someone told me that God cries when I masturbate and I love God so much, you know? There's a root that is so pure to so many of these things that it's just heartbreaking. We're all in it together. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's crazy. I think a big part of the reason we need to hate someone else is because we don't know how to, we can't have compassion for other people because we actually, there's a deeper thing of we can't have compassion for ourselves. And so if I, if I do look at myself and I do look at where this sits on myself, I'm going to hate myself and I can't do that. I don't, I don't want to go there because that's painful and that sucks, right? We all hate ourselves <laughs> yeah. enough already. Um, but I'm not going to be able to look at this and go, gosh, this is something that is on me now, right? I mean, this, this is my thing I'm going to have to work through. And we don't have the compassion. We don't have the, the mental space or whatever it is to, to do that. I think it's a, such a hard thing to learn as Christians, people that have grown up in evangelical Christianity, self-compassion, not our big thing. Maybe no. we can have God extend grace to us, but generally speaking, even then we have to beat the shit up out of ourselves for a while, right? Some self-flagellation, beat ourselves up. And so I think it's just easier to go, oh, you're the problem. Like that, ex- like psychologists talk about external and internal locus of control. Where do you place yeah. the blame? Um, and I just think it's so much easier to go, oh, if Josh Harris wasn't here, that wouldn't be an issue course we know that's not true oh right? yes it would. if you <laughs> yeah. if you hadn't been in your church those kids would never have got into purity culture and it's like mm, it seems unlikely right because you got into it through your church yeah um and so yeah it's just it's a weird weird thing so how are you intentionally like you must be looking forward i mean you're a content creator you're you know someone that keeps on the button like constantly looking at what's going on in, in culture and how do you address those things are you looking forward and going, okay, here's some things that we're going to have to tackle. Here's some things that are really important to explore. What are the big things you see in the next kind of three, six months that you think you're going to be um, exploring and trying to tackle and trying to bring less division and more unity and and change um, that I know you're passionate about? I think it's almost to be seen Um, I'm a very spontaneous person. I don't really like plans. (laughs) And again, as a, as a spiritual person, I really believe that God's been like leading me week by week. I sort of get presented these different things and I just follow it. I think the main thing that changes and grows is my perception of what it should be and how exercising compassion and love looks in real time, how I can actually be the person that I'm claiming to be. I also, again, I feel a little excited about TikTok because I think if you watch my first, first video ever, I was talking about the story of, quote, losing my virginity. And I was actually like breathing. I remember I was so nervous and I watched that video now and I'm like, oh, so nervous. But it was because you're just like dipping your toe in and you're kind of like, okay, so I actually think this, or this is my story. And it's not that I needed people to give me accolades for that. Like I was expecting 98% hate and 2% love. I was amazed that it was reverse. Mm. Um, And it's just been a pleasure, but I have a feeling that even if it was still, if it was 2% love that I would, still have the courageousness that I do now because I just feel genuinely that this is important work that needs to be put into the world for however many people that it reaches. Um, How do you cope with that negativity? Like, cause for me, I'm like, I don't care. I've got better over the years, (laughs) but sometimes like 
it's just a comment or a thing. And it just like, I'm like, it just sends me into a funk. I don't know. And it can be like, I've had like 10 people say, you're the best thing ever. You know, like I'm going to call my kid after you. And you know, like obscenely yeah. like you're the best thing ever. And then someone can be like, eat a dick, Phil. And I'm like, oh man, that guy must hate me. Usually it's, if it's more eloquent or well thought out and I'm like, oh man, I'm just, I'm shit or whatever. Like, do, do you get caught up in that stuff or do you just kind of roll with it? I think I used to, I've always been the kind of person who would be more angry on someone else's behalf than my own. Mm. So it was much harder to read comments uh, anti-LGBTQ comments, for example, like those were really hard for me to ingest. Um, but I'm so glad that I had the experience to do that because it showed me what LGBTQ people have been going through in Christianity. I'm mm-hmm. like stunned and taken aback by the amount of hate. Yeah. If you ever just want to like fall into an abyss and cry yourself to sleep, which please don't read the comments on my Lauren Diggle video. It has almost a million views. It's my most watched. And I stopped reading the comments a long time ago because they're deplorable. They're actually disgusting. Mm. And they're apparently from quote Christians. I am not one to police Christianity. I'm not going to decide who is a Christian or not. But I can promise you, you are not behaving out of Jesus's love when you say those Mm. things. Absolutely not. But the way to have compassion and grace for that is to realize that a lot of people are suffering internalized homophobia. It's like you have to get to the root. And I don't make excuses for people. When, When people are out putting really bad things into the world, I don't just lay down and be like, oh, little sweet thing, doesn't know any better. No, you can absolutely be a hateful, harmful person. And I'll put that. But there is a reason that person is doing that. What have they been indoctrinated into? Are they a gay guy in a marriage with a woman? And were they never allowed to live out their life? I also noticed a theme. And I would say this actually totally changed my life as far as comments go. Mm. I've probably only gotten about five of these but they're so amazing to me. Like five people reaching out and saying, I used to hate you. I used to say X, Y, and Z. This was the comment that I gave you. And they'll be profoundly hateful, but also intellectualizing, smart. Like you said, mm-hmm. if it's like yeah. a completely errant, you know, misspelled message, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. But right. the particularly hateful comments in my experience have come from people that were on the precipice of change where Mm. it was so offensive to their senses that they lost it because I guarantee you they're already being invited by the divine into a different realm of thinking. They've already been invited to free themselves, to be who God made them to be. Like one prime example is people scream at me more than ever about me saying that you're allowed to masturbate and it's primarily men. And I think it's because women were taught you need to hide your bodies and, and present in this perfect way and be a perfect pure flower. Men were taught self-restraint, self-restraint. So I believe they find it so offensive that I'm saying this thing you've built up, this thing that probably causes you so much pain is, I have the audacity as some girl on YouTube to say, 
No, you don't have to practice self-restraint in that. Right. Please masturbate. I'm begging yeah. you. Do it. Um, can't you imagine why that would be so offensive after clinging to that for so long, believing that's sure. what made you a good Christian? Like, to me, a Christian girl was a virgin. If I'm now telling you that's not necessarily what makes a, a Christian, but you're a 37-year-old woman still waiting, all respect for it to you, of course. But, like, you might scream at me because you've built your life on this. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you're, like, so far into the sunk cost fallacy, like, this is your life. Like, I know when I was talking to Blair about um, purity culture and stuff and she was asking, like, how it affected me as a male, like, I was like, dude, I spent every single interaction with God from like 13 to like 25. I didn't even think about relating to God outside of when was the last time I masturbated and like, what kind of porn did I watch or how disappointed was God in me? Like every single way I interacted with God was fogged by that reality because I was like a kid, like, and I was constantly filled with hormones. I wanted to masturbate um, or anything else basically involved my penis. I would have happily done, Um, but none of it was allowed. And so you feel guilt and shame and constantly bad. And, and yeah, you bet if someone went online and was like, oh yeah, that's not a big thing. I'd be like, are you kidding? Cause I've literally tortured myself yeah. every second yeah. of every day for 10 years. And you're telling me it's not a big thing, but I think there's a flip side as well. Why I think, there's this male patriarchal kind of possessiveness over females where there is this need in the church for females to be this perfect, pure, untouched flower. And then like the porn star, the second after she gets married. Right. I mean, like, just like, whatever, I don't know. Um, whatever that like shift is, I'm just thinking of two extremes, but like, um, that's the kind of expectation right now. We all know practically without sexual uh, education and exploration, girls are not going to know what the hell they're doing in the marriage beds two minutes after they get married, right? They're, they're not going to know what they the like and how to tell it. And yeah. right, exactly. you're not telling the guy any of these things, but I think there's this thing that guys just don't want to ruin that idea of these girls are this, like they never think about sex. They never even like, they don't even have a sexual thought. And then suddenly they do the second you get married. But like, I think there's this thing of like, Oh, I, I don't like these, these, whatever these pure possessions suddenly enjoying themselves sexually or they're not pure now or or whatever i think there's a big component of that in this kind of patriarchal dynamic i think there's a real like ownership weird hierarchy dynamic in that that um, i think lydia k klein talks about that quite a bit in um, pure in her chapter about that um masturbation and how that affects but yeah, I've, I, I, but I think you're right with the guys. I mean, you're just so in deep on this shit that like that's yeah. gonna hurt. But you're also right. I think that most of the people, I'm always amazed, like people that keep coming back, right? And I noticed in exactly. I was I was on your podcast last week. Um, it was probably about a month ago for people listening to this live. Um, but like I read through all the comments. And I tried to reply to people. The first two days, I was like, I'm gonna comment you're and reply so much better and be engaged. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I could take an hour, two hours out to just like really stay on top of things. Um, and then I'm like, after a couple of days, I'm like, okay, you're all dead to me. Um, but <laughs> I was so surprised where people were like, oh, I wonder when this person will show up. And then right enough, like a couple hours later, that person shows up and they've not even been tagged, but they're like, you are this and this is just disgusting or whatever. And I'm like, this person clearly shows up in all your comments, right? And it's like a yeah. become a meme. But I'm like, this guy is the guy that goes to McDonald's every day buys a Big Mac and then leaves a Google review saying, 
Big Macs tastes like shit. McDonald's is the worst <laughs> restaurant in the world. And then goes back the next day to leave a new review. Like, and I'm like, what is it that causes people that? And I think you're right. There's something in them that's just, they can't, there's something drawing them in. Now maybe they just deeply feel this crusade to take you down. And I'm sure there's people like that. I don't think But so. I wonder I if know. people I, are on the cusp I really more than we like, think. Yeah, because imagine the things that have no effect on, I don't know. There's so many conspiracy theories or concepts that people have that have no effect on me because I'm just like, well, whatever. Like, I don't know. There, but you can really get to me if it's something that deeply resonates mm. that I'm already a little bit like iffy on. I mean, not so much right. now, like more. Well, you can later. get you to join TikTok, right? <sighs> so much peer pressure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, uh, there were so many good things that you just said. I'm thinking about men with the purity culture and the abstaining from masturbation and stuff, it's, well, real quick, before we get into that, I'm just remembering, for example, when I was, I think 12 years old or something, Bjork came mm-hmm. on uh, SNL and I used to tape all SNLs because I'm very old. <laughs> on a videotape. For you all had of to you that f- don't Change the tracking so it like didn't like have that squiggly line at the top. Wow. Yeah. They used to have a, a gigantic tape they would put into a VCR and you could record things with TV. Um, but I did that with SNLs cause I just like, loved the show and I loved watching it again. And I remember Bjork came on and I was so, I was disgusted. I was like, what is this? I hate this. This is not music. This is horrible. So I've rewound it again to make sure that it was terrible. And I was like, yes, this is disgusting. I remember oh. I had the most intense visceral reaction of hatred for this sound a hundred times later i was finally like i love this who is this and i start looking for all of her music it's just funny it's like i think we do have to give some grace not only to other people but to ourselves that if something is resonant or something actually create some discord between something you once thought was true like Mm -hmm. music is this and then bjork is like no music can also be this i was just like no i can't but right i've been a huge fan of her since because there was something so resonant and so true and so profound Mm. about what she was doing and then i had to let go of what i prior to that moment thought this is what music is and then what did that do just expand open the floodgates and you know, just expand my entire worldview at 12 years old, really. It was a strangely profound experience that I still Mm. draw back to when I get these hate comments, weirdly enough. I'm like, am I resonating? Because you're watching a lot of my videos to (laughs) to make sure that you hate me, (laughs) you know? That's really funny. Yeah, it's crazy people like that. But I think that's the thing is that you, you, you hate what you were and you also tend to hate what you're going to become until it clicks, right? It, but you, you do tend to go, God, I hate those people. They're the worst. They're the worst. I hate them. And then before long, you kind of go like, wait, how did I end up here? I'm, I'm the person that I used to hate. And now I love it. And now I hate what I used to be, right? And mm-hmm. um, that's just natural kind of progression, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And then, so my, like to answer your question of where do I see the next like months going? Mm. That's where I believe we need to go okay, now it's time to grow past that and stop hating what we once were. If anything, we just need to practice gratitude that we know better, that we are stronger in what we believe in, whether that be now you're an atheist or now you're an even stronger Christian than ever before and have 
as much as you can exercise grace and compassion. And there's also universal themes. Like when I wrote my book in the um, prologue to everything, I, I just wanted to write a letter to everyone. And I wrote the worst things you could say about a liberal person, like a baby killing libtard. And then um, a Trump like worshiping. What is it? What do we say about conservatives? Um, whatever, all of the slang that we use to hate on each other. Mm. And I just wanted to say, I am a white blonde American woman. And I could have been either of these stereotypes that are so hated. And it really was just up to my life experience and my interactions with the world that I was led to be one or the other. But the unifying thing that we have as human beings is our humanity, how many of us would jump in the water to save a drowning toddler. And then we have in us sexuality. Even if you're asexual, you are still bombarded by sexuality because it's a base human need. We won't die physically without having sex, but humanity entirely would die without sex. Sure, so it's, yeah. it's an incredibly profound, important thing. Um, oh, about you talking about like this Madonna whore complex. When I got mm. married, my husband almost never had sex with me again after we got married, which was so interesting because in retrospect, I was like, okay, I think there's a Madonna whore thing going on here where I was this like China cup of perfection. And then all of a sudden you can't, you know, treat your wife like a whore. You, she's not your Jezebel. There's Jezebels out in the world that are there for sexual pleasure. Mm. This is my teacup, the Madonna. And throughout my book, I talk about my experiences with men because I was just like broken and beaten again and again by the concepts of what a woman is supposed to be presenting, what a woman is supposed to desire or not desire, how she's supposed to dress, all of these things. And then also in part with what wasn't being imposed upon men, like a woman who presents herself the way I'm dressed right now, is a Jezebel. You don't have to call her back mm. the next day. She's just a whore. If she was willing to sleep with you, she doesn't deserve respect because that's a Jezebel. It's like, no, these, this is such a disaster. This is not the way we treat each other in any context, secular or religious. We need mm. to be profoundly aware of human beings, especially when it comes to sexual activity, how much we are honoring and respecting someone being willing to go into that intimate space with us. And throughout my book, I, and my life, AKA, I was constantly accused of being a whore. I kept, whether it's accidentally or whatever, inviting men into my life that treated me that way, that accused me of cheating on them all the time, that were intimidated. Like, oh, if you're this sexual, sexually free, if you're this capable of sexual pleasure or of giving me sexual pleasure, then you must be this kind of woman, because I've been told whores are like this, you know? And I really got healed from that with an encounter with um, a young guy that I was dating. He just made a joke. There was, um, we were like watching a preview for a show and there was a woman at the gynecologist spread eagle on the table. And her gynecologist was like, how many sexual partners have you had? And the woman was like this week. And it was supposed to be this joke. And the guy I was dating went, what a whore. And I was so freed in that moment because he was making a joke. 
And I have never in my life until that point met a man who didn't believe a woman could be a whore, who didn't calculate how much respect or lack thereof a woman deserves based upon her sexuality. And like him and afterwards, I finally was able to find men and invite men into my life that didn't believe whore was a thing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you have no sexual integrity. I have more sexual integrity than ever, but I still love sex and it's still crucially important and you can still sleep with a certain number of people and, and have fun, but still not be this kind of woman, that kind of woman. Yeah. And, and men really need to be invited into that understanding as well, yeah. which we're catching up to. I mean, I think well, we have to exercise more positivity too. We're getting there. We with do. These we concepts. are. I think we are humanity and we are, uh, people coming out of evangelical Christianity. I just don't know how much evangelical Christianity is getting there though. Um, I think that might well, be a, listening to an WAP issue. A lot. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, but that's it. It's, it's confirmation bias though, isn't it? I was, um, I was reading this, um, I can't remember what it was. It was a study I read recently and they were basically looking at um, evangelical couples who were not having healthy sex lives and basically had a lot of shame and um, problems, um, you know, uh, orgasm, both of them, male and female at times, mm. or just one party. Um, and it's just a whole bunch of shame, whole bunch of links to purity culture, things like that. you could even track over age and it basically hit a certain age. And I've heard um, uh, Tina Sherma Sellers, are you familiar with Tina? Love yeah. her, yeah. Um, have you had her on your show before? Yeah. Yeah, you have. Yeah. I thought I'd seen that. Yeah. Um, she's just amazing. But I've, I've, I know for her, her whole research started where she was like working with couples and then suddenly like at a point it just kicked off and she's like, what happened? And she traced it back and she's like, oh, this is when purity culture really kicked in. No These teenagers way. are now adults getting married and they're all fucked up. And before wow. then, the Christian couples weren't as fucked up. And it's like, wow. whoa, that's kind of crazy. But anyway, these, these people were in this position um god why did i start this conversation i always do this i have so many like rabbit trails um Me too. but uh they basically had this males how they perceive females yes okay so confirmation bias sorry but what they what was interesting yeah. is this whole this whole idea of like oh well if we're just pure if we're holy if we're whatever then we'll have this amazing marriage and then you know people like yourself very clear of like data's in guys doesn't actually follow through but the problem is at some point they weren't pure every male or female at some point has got this weird guilt and thing that racks them that they go, well, yeah, I did think about that guy once, or I did yeah. masturbate to porn or whatever. And so immediately we start blaming the candidates. But what's fascinating is they found was across the boards in therapy, it was always the females that were to blame again and again and again, not always, but like the vast majority, even when the men had like history of masturbation, watching porn or whatever, there's an element of like, well, guys are guys, you know, boys will be boys or whatever that is. But girls will be girls means girls will be perfect and holy and spotless and never think about sex. And if you are, you're seriously messed up. And yeah. good God, you'll know this probably better than me because you probably attract this conversation more than I, I don't know why people talk to me about this stuff, I guess, because I'm in deconstruction, <laughs> but people seem to describe it. But I have so many girls talking to me about their struggles with masturbation. Um, mm. And I'm for podcast people, that was a big air quotes because like, what the fuck? That's really normal and really healthy and important. Um, 
but they as soon as they open up and go oh yeah well i have had um, masturbation occasionally or i did think about sex in this way and touch myself immediately it's like oh here we have the problem of the marriage the problem yeah. is you need to take ownership for this you i think linda k klein actually wrote about this a little bit as well and it's just it's such a warped perspective of blame and and how we associate blame that it, but we'll find our confirmation bias anyway that i think that's the problem with the evangelical um, and it goes beyond evangelicals. It's, you know, extreme conservative Catholics and other groups. I just had um, yeah, Rachel Alba well. on. Have you connected with Rachel Alba? No. She's a sex coach. I, I'll send you a message with her at, because you should have her on. We just had a three hour conversation and it was absolutely freaking incredible. We talked oh, about amazing. polyamory and just like, we just talked about everything. It was really fascinating, but I she, um, she works with her. people. Um, but she's got like a master's, I think master's in, uh, theology, um, and therapy and all sorts of different stuff. It's really interesting. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, but we were talking about that and it's just like, Oh, what a mess we've made because if you're in that world, she comes from conservative charismatic. If you're in that world, you'll always find a yeah, but so, oh, you know, all our data is pointing to it doesn't work. Yeah, but look at these people. They watched porn once. They touched themselves as a kid or whatever it is. Um, I just don't know how we break through that. I just, because the data isn't going to speak. doesn't matter how overwhelming it is. There's always a yeah, but. Um, and I think that's the frustrating part. But I agree. I think evangelicalism is going to die a slow death if it doesn't change, if it doesn't wake up. Because the rest of us are waking up and we're waking up and throw like you know this is the fastest growing spiritual movement in the west is people deconstructing their faith it's crazy yeah i mean if you think about this is why i'm a huge proponent of sexual integrity over Mm. purity because you can always be more pure and i wrote about that as well how you know after i got married any mess that we were in it's like oh well it's because we didn't actually wait for the day you know, there's always something that you could say is to blame for the dysfunction. When in reality, if you were on Yelp and there was a sex therapist and like 90% of the reviews were, oh, after going to this person, I experienced vaginismus. My husband had erectile dysfunction. I cried after sex every time, even after we got married. And, you know, my daughter was assaulted by, you know, the sex therapist and it was her fault. Like you, You'd be like, I'm not going to this therapist. And yet the church has this track record. It really does. And you can argue that there are positive takeaways, but to argue with that, I would say, yes, I'm sure those positive takeaways are any concepts of genuine integrity, not purity. You can never be pure. The Bible even talks about that. It's like, Jesus was purity. None of us can attain mm. that. We can try. So if your whole life is based on, I will be pure and therefore X, Y, Z being, I'll have a million orgasms in my perfect marriage. You, like it just, it doesn't add up. And and this is so heartbreaking. This is honestly one of the main reasons I started God is Great in the first place was because people were telling me, oh, I used to love God, but, and that but was always, but I'm gay but I'm polyamorous, but I want to have sex with my boyfriend, but I am a liberal, but I'm pro-choice. Like that should never be the, but, you know, the, but should be, I, I don't 
intuitive. I don't feel it. It should never sure. be. But I was ostracized from believing that I would be welcome into that space because of my sexuality. What a stupid reason to kick yeah. everybody out of our faith. And none of us are succeeding at it. Like, because you can't, you can't yeah. be pure. You can't. Mm. All you can do is have integrity, yeah. which is enthusiastic consent, which is and enthusiastic consent too is so important. Like I love that because women too have been given the script. Guys just want to have sex constantly. And when that's not true, when you are have the sex drive in your marriage, sure. you're ashamed. What am I you doing? I need like to dress a freak sexier. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. The guy Why doesn't can, my husband desire me like 24 seven? Like the pastors told me that it would eventually happen. Like, no, sure. exactly. And it's 60, and, 40, right? The split of like, so males, I think it's 60% of couples. Tina Sherman-Sellers is where I got this actually. She said okay. that in relationships, 60% of the relationships will have males with a higher libido. And that's obviously a spectrum. And then 40% will have females. So it's not that, like, it's not even that different that you can go, oh yeah, but most not, not really. Uh, these gender um, scripts we've given are so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's really so harmful, really harmful for, oh, yeah. for the guys. Because guys are like, oh, what is wrong with me? I don't want to have sex all the time or whatever. I, I, I skew more asexual. I don't want to have sex all the time at all. Um, like, I love sex, but like, geez, like there's other things in life to do. Like, calm down, um, you know? <laughs> um, but like that for me was a real thing that I really struggled with. It's certainly my first marriage. That was a real dynamic. Like my wife was much more uh, higher libido. And like, and then she had the dynamic of like, Oh, what's wrong with me? Am I like some sort of like weird Jezebel, like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, or am I undesirable? Am I doing something wrong? Like, and, and, but there's no right, right? Because you can't be like, try and make yourself more desirable because then you're like a bad Christian or bad wife or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what a rock and a hard place, right? Like, what do you even yeah. do in that dynamic? And then it Shakira gets to be sexy on TV, but you have to be all buttoned up. And like, then you get mad and project that anger on the women that are actually allowed to just present themselves in a sensual, right, sexy way. Right, and start way. shaming like, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. It all leads to hate. Like fear and shame lead to all of these things. And mm. that's, that's, really one, that's really how it button everything up. We need to constantly reject these invitations to shame and fear fear of the other, fear of our sexuality, shame of our sexuality, shame about who we were, who we want to be. Like we have to just focus on love and intuiting the best of ourselves and sexually sexual compatibility is real. I hear so mm. many conservative Christians argue that you'll just magically be aligned because God That's willed crazy. it. And this is the one, this is your partner for life. And it's like, no, <laughs> Sexual compatibility is not guaranteed. I've had a lot of sex. I can promise. Even when you think it's going to be like fireworks, it's not necessarily the truth. Like, and I'm not even saying test it out, test out the car before you buy it. I'm just saying we need to stop lying right. to our young people about yeah. what sex is and how it works. You don't need yeah. to lie about sexuality to help them abstain from having sex sure. that disempowers them in a real way not mm. in this like you're disempowered immediately because you had sex yeah but like by truly dishonoring your body by not using a condom with someone you don't know that's a dishonoring of your body christian child like kids need to know that and i don't mm. mean kids like inappropriate age i mean as soon as you got their ears and you're educating them about sex really educate with them 
Don't lie and say that aborted fetuses scream until they die. Don't lie and say compatibility is instantaneous. Don't lie and say men desire sex more than women. Devote yourselves to some honesty and then you'll find less people having to deconstruct from what you told yeah. them because you're doing no good service. And the proof mm. is in all of your congregants that are married that are coming to you with all this dysfunction. Guess what? Your Yelp review is at the zero. Get your shit together Seriously. <laughs> and devote yourself to truth. And also it's just fear-based. You don't have to lie to people about sex to help them create a sexual healthy dynamic in the world. Mm. They can save themselves from marriage even and, and know what anal sex is at the same time sure. and carry a condom in their wallet at the same time. It's... Ugh. <laughs> Hand out a condom with your pure earring, right? <laughs> For real. I mean, yes, you That's might as so well. Funny. It's not an invitation to have sex. It's saying... This is an honor of your body. Yeah. And that's, I mean, people can still hold those values. Like I think um, a lot of people have this assumption. They would have an assumption of um, yourself talking about, you know, being more open, being more aware, being more educated, um, you know, seeing things from a different perspective. They'd be like, oh, okay. So they're just going to have sex with everyone and anyone, right? I'm sure you've had those comments. Um, But also, oh, anyone that listens to her will immediately just like, you know, go to the nearest orgy, right? Um, I don't know if there are near orgies. I don't know how common they are or where they are. Um, Like I said, I don't want to have sex that much. I'm like, dude, that just sounds like a nightmare. Um, But... um, It's like, that's the assumption, right? It's like, oh my gosh, if you tell people like, you know, you can have sex or you give them a condom, good God, they're just going to go wild. There's just going to be people having sex everywhere. Um, And it's, and it's just not true that most, uh, most often people will be a slow and gradual thoughtful process of going, huh, what do I believe in? What do I think? And often they'll go, no, I I really believe in waiting for it. The amount of people that are shocked to find out that people that are, um, you know, LGBTQ that, uh, and plus and, and beyond that wait for yeah. marriage to have sex. And people are like, wait, what? Like, because that's like evil, but that's good. How do they combine? Um, <laughs> and it's just like, no, 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 it's not this black and white thing. Um, you can wait for marriage. And that's so like, I, I, I just want to hammer home. That's not what you're putting across is that like you throw that moral or, mm. or particular ethic, which is going to be unique to all of us as we think this out and, and consider it. You don't throw yeah, and just to be window. clear, I'm not a proponent of abstinence till marriage. Like you, mm. I, I'm a proponent of making autonomous decisions about your sexuality that are genuine to you, that are genuine to what you intuit is right for your body, for your mm. life, the timing. When people are invited to actually decide for themselves, then whatever ethic comes out of that, whatever decision is made from that place will stand. If you have a girl, you give her all the information about sex in a comprehensive way. And then she says, you know what? I'd like to wait until I'm genuinely in love with someone. I can guarantee you she will do that. If if Mm. not, she will have made a choice to do it earlier because something shifted and she like genuinely changed her mind for some reason. But if you give someone an ethic that is based on the external, on shame, on fear... That doesn't stand. Fear is not an ethic on which to build anything, like or a foundation. You, yeah. your foundation has to be true conviction, 
which kind of like brings us back to the beginning of this conversation. What is a progressive Christian? It's someone that's exhaustedly usually really delved into the beliefs that we were given and figured out what is genuinely true to us. And I believe the mm-hmm. same thing about sexuality. So yeah. whatever that looks like for you, I'm not here to judge you. Abstinence, yeah. great. Orgies, who am I to say? <laughs> you, know, you do you, like, you know? As long yeah. as it's consenting and yeah. That's awesome. Brenda, thank you so much for um, taking so much time to chat. I know that uh, you don't tend to do really long podcasts. <laughs> like oh, no, I, these are my bread and butter, but uh, I, I <laughs> loved having you on. I, I love being able to go much deeper than we uh, we got to go last time. It was such a great podcast. So hopefully people's appetite is now uh, sated for at least a little while. Maybe we'll have you back on um, and do a special when your book comes out um, and get that plugged that. in. So, yeah, it's April, right? Yeah. So people need to get online and order up um, on her knees on Amazon. Link will be in the show notes below. Um, but how else can people connect with you if they want to? What's what's the best kind of ways to be following and tracking you? Is that Instagram and YouTube? Yeah, God is Grand Instagram now at God is Grand TikTok. And, oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, just God is Grey, G-R-E-Y on YouTube. I am horrendous at responding. Um, but I also, I guess just want to encourage everybody that there's such a beautiful community. More often than not, if you have a question to ask, the community that we've built in God is Grey will offer you like I I often don't respond to comments because I see a thread and I'm like that's exactly what I would have said they've taken care of it right that is the best thing when you're like oh I'm busy I've gone out for a meal or whatever and you like it starts to blow up and you're like I really should probably start looking at some of these comments and chat or say something and then you finally get to look at them and you're like oh what are they gonna be like and you're like Oh, some ass hat shown up as well and he's been a total dick and then you're like oh yeah actually now i don't have to be a dick they, they kind of took care of that that guy as well <laughs> or, yeah um, it's the best it's the best when yeah. you start getting that kind of community and yeah your community is i mean I, I had the privilege of chatting with your community when i when i chat with people on um the youtube um that you put out yeah it's an excellent it's such amazing community. people such mm-hmm. amazing people so yeah. yeah no thank you for what you're doing it's so important honestly you've been inspirational to me really have like i know oh, that i've been a, i've felt freer to be more open and to be more vulnerable and talk about these issues more than i had in the past um, because of people like yourself that were really going for it um and so i really appreciate um all you're doing and i tell you i get people messaging me about you non-stop like non-stop and so you are blowing it up you really are um so thank you for what you're doing thank all of you out there i love you awesome well thank you so much for coming on and um i'll let you know when this goes live but um i'm sure i'll message you at some point okay perfect Um, all right love you brenda catch you later yeah all right that was brenda marie davies uh god is gray as she's popularly known as online I absolutely love that conversation, um, as I always do whenever I'm talking with Brenda. Um, you can dive into our prior conversation if you haven't heard that before. It's episode 25. And I was a guest on Brenda's podcast as well. If you want to go and um, hear me talk about progressive Christianity and deconstruction over there um, as well, I do encourage you to check out her podcast and her YouTube. It's just God is Grey. Uh, she's on Instagram and posts great stuff over there as well. It's God is Grey. Um, and be sure to order up her memoir, pre-order that. It really does help her a lot. All those links to those things are in the show notes. So um, I encourage you to check out those links, go through her stuff. It really is fantastic. Uh, I just love her heart. I love her approach to 
all kinds of different topics in this space. Um, she really does have a, a beautiful heart and a very um, uh, wise approach to, to discussing these topics with people and, and, and about um, even people and, and, and different movements and things like that. And so do check her out. God is gray and all the links, like I said, are in the show notes. All right, that's enough from me. Um, as I said at the beginning, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're looking for um, people that have been through deconstruction or going through deconstruction in your local area. That's a great resource to connect with people locally. Um, and as I said again at the beginning, everything I do is free. I really appreciate people's support. It, this is a full-time job. I spend three, four, five hours a day talking with people that are going through this process and helping them on their journeys. I put out different uh, video and audio resources. I do this podcast a couple of times a week. Um, it's a very time-intensive job. Um, and because of that, I don't get to work a nine-to-five job like most people. And so I do live off the support I get via Patreon or, or my partners list. And so you can do that if you have some excess cash and you'd love to support what I'm doing. You can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, for as little as five bucks a month, um, you'll get access to the private discussion group. You'll get access to our monthly Zoom calls um, and a few other perks as well in, in the higher kind of um, bands. Obviously, there is never any requirement to give. Um, I am here for you. I would love to connect with you and help you on your journey. Um, all my resources will forever be free. Um, and so please feel no obligation to give. There's never any need. We've all been burned enough by uh, different movements asking us for money and, and harassing us out of our money. All right, that's enough from me. I'll see you next week for another couple episodes. Love you guys.